0: Good evening, everyone. How are we? We're good? Okay, if you want to go to Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and that will give me a moment to also get there, too. So, this evening we're looking at Mark chapter 10. Um, so, I'll read this passage, but I might also look at a few other verses throughout it. So, you might want to keep your Bible open. So, verse 46. <clears throat> And followed Jesus along the road. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for your word, that we can read together, and that we can learn from together. And so tonight I pray that whatever words are from me, they would just fall on deaf ears. But whatever words are from you, that would stay in the hearts of us this evening. God, open our eyes to see more of you this evening. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to be with you all and opening up um, God's word together this evening. I don't know if you've been about for the Sunday evening services, but I have loved the past nine, ten weeks, taking a chapter in the book of Mark each week. So it's great that we're finally in double digits now, we're in Mark chapter 10, um, so it's great that we've got this far. Before we jump into our text, I thought I would share a little bit, um, maybe a little story about myself. Now some of you may know me and may remember me growing up through the church, Um, which is very humbling, I have to say, the people who taught me how to pray and taught me how to read the Bible, and now I'm teaching you tonight. Um, But I think it's a wonderful part of church family, isn't it? So if you know me, uh, you might know that I wear contact lenses to be able to see. And before that, I had glasses for most of my life. But there was a time that, as a child, I didn't have glasses. Not because my eyesight was good, but just because I didn't realize that I couldn't really see that well. And to be honest, when I think back now of my childhood memories, they are a little bit blurry, and I can't can't tell whether that's because I just couldn't really see or because of my bad memory. I don't know. Um, But when I finally did get a random eye test in primary school, uh, the woman said to me, no, you really, really need glasses. (laughs) I don't know how you've managed to cope so far without having glasses. And my parents were a little bit confused because they said, well, Sarah, you've never squinted. You've never told us that you couldn't see things. But I guess as a naive, quiet child, I just thought, this is the way the world is. You can't see your teacher's face from that, from you know, at the front of the classroom. You can't really see the TV. That's just the way the world is. So um, growing up, that was the way I had to sort of experience things, out of focus, and a bit blurry. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that before. Not seeing things clearly as really they should be. So I tell you that story tonight, not so that you all go to Specsavers tomorrow, um, but just so that we can think about seeing, and seeing clearly. And tonight I wanna to focus on this question. How are we seeing Jesus? Is it blurry and unfocused? Is it clear? Or do we want to regain the sight that we once had? So to set the scene a little bit for our text this evening, as I said, over the past nine weeks, we've been taking a chapter um, in the book of Mark. And we've had passages of healings, miracles, teaching on this upside down kingdom of God and Jesus calling people to follow him. And then last week, Suzanne was speaking to us about the Transfiguration passage in Mark chapter nine. So all this time, Jesus has been trying to show them that he is indeed the Messiah, through his teaching, his healing, forgiveness of others all within this kingdom. And I would really recommend that you go back and listen to all those sermons Or just read all those chapters in the book of Mark. And then you'll get this bigger picture of what is this kingdom and who is this Jesus. So now we move into the last section in the book of Mark. And we have Jesus on his way into Jerusalem, leading to his suffering, his death and his resurrection. And in chapter 10 that we're looking at tonight, verse 32 sets us out on this course. As they were on their way to Jerusalem. So this evening we're in a bit of a midway point, looking back at who Jesus is and anticipating what it means for Jesus to really be the Messiah. And the the Mark, sorry, the Book of Mark, (laughs) get that right, uh, sets us up to look at both with this verse that just comes before the main passage. So verse 45 says for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now we're gonna start to see how Jesus is the Messiah throughout this next half of of the book. So in the passage that we're looking at tonight, it's just before we start on the Easter journey to the cross. And we're in Jericho. A place that maybe reminds you, would have reminded the people of stories of walls come crashing down in victory, of Rahab and her family being saved, last time that we see Elijah before he goes up into heaven, and where Elijah passes that on to Elisha. And this is the Jericho, this is the spot before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem Palm Sunday. So it may be a story that others may be tempted to skip over and quickly get to Palm Sunday. Tonight, we're going to slow down a bit, pause and sit with this text together and pay particular attention to how are we seeing Jesus. So first thing that we want to focus on this evening is what are the disciples, what are the crowds doing? Are they seeing Jesus clearly? They actually understand why he is here and what he is doing. In the passage that I just read for us, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples start to leave the city of Jericho. and The blind beggar calls out to them. But what is the reaction of the people that are around them? Do they see this man in his pain and in his need? Do they see the compassion that Jesus has for him? well, their response is to tell the blind man, Bartimaeus, to be quiet, and they rebuke him. They clearly don't think that Jesus should be wasting his time with this man. After all, he's only a blind beggar. But interestingly enough, in this book, we have what he's called Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. And if you don't know what the word Timaeus means, that name, it means honorable. So even though the crowd don't think that he is worthy to be honored or to have time with Jesus, it makes it really clear that actually this man is indeed honorable. And unfortunately, that's not how the crowd view him. So they rebuke him and maybe they hope that Jesus will move on to more important matters. In fact, this is the kind of attitude that we see a few other times within chapter 10. So if you still have it open with you, you can look back in verses 13 to 16. We have a story where little children are going over to Jesus, but his disciples are telling them to leave Jesus alone. They don't think the little children can or should be taking up Jesus' time. But do the disciples really understand that Jesus actually values these children? Jesus tells them that the kingdom of God belongs to them with their childlike faith, wonder, and amazement. Jesus is welcoming in those with simple faith that others would maybe disregard. But the disciples are blinded by their own presumptions, their own expectations about who Jesus is and what he was there to do. that they don't see that Jesus would want the children near him. And then if we look down in verses 35 to 45, we have a conversation between James and John, the disciples, and Jesus, all while on the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to the most important journey of his life, to ultimately lay down his life which he has just explained for the third time what was going to happen. And Johnny Campbell preached a couple of weeks ago on the first time that Jesus explains that. <clears throat> but again, he has to explain it in more detail to them. So what do James and John ask him about? Well, if we look at verse 35 onwards, they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He, that's Jesus, asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So what are they asking for? They're asking for power, status, and platform. Have they not seen who Jesus truly is? Have they not been there for his teaching, and when he was showing them what the kingdom of God actually looks like, because it's not about power and self-promotion or platform. So Jesus has to remind them again, that even though they see this attitude of, of grabbing power and searching for power within the world, that that's not what they should be aiming for themselves. So Jesus tells them in verse 43 and 44, he says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This is not the kind of power they would be expecting from the awaited Messiah. But Jesus being the Messiah and then being his followers isn't about mixing with the elites of the day, having a high social status, And it certainly won't mean this kind of self-glory here and now. It's all about being a servant to others. So the book of Mark has been trying to show that in the past nine chapters. So those examples, what are we seeing through those examples there? Well, it seems that the crowds of people, the disciples, need to be reminded again and again about who Jesus really is. Their own culture and narrative have seeped into their ideas that they aren't looking clearly. They're presuming that Jesus is too important, too busy for certain types of people. The Messiah couldn't possibly have time in his schedule to talk to children or meet with a blind man begging on the side of the road. It's as if their lenses or their glasses are out of focus, they're blurry. And it's even more out of focus when some of them start to ask for power and authority rather than humbling themselves. They just aren't seeing Jesus and the kingdom of God clearly. And what about us? What do we do when we are met with similar situations? We see that the people around us are crying out for that emptiness within them to be filled, for their life to have purpose, They're crying out for Jesus, and sometimes they don't even know that they are. Do we react like the crowd? Do we tell them to be quiet, that this space isn't for them? Jesus is too busy, too important for them. Well, if that's what we're doing, we need to start asking the question are we truly seeing Jesus? Is this how he would act towards that person or that people group or those people that we just don't consider important enough? Jesus is time for each person, knowing that each of them is worthy of dignity and respect. It's how Jesus treats each one of them and each one of us. So then we need to make sure that our lenses are on correctly, that we have them focused so that we can see Jesus clearly and others clearly so what can we learn about those who are seeing Jesus clearly from this text well let's go back to the main passage for this evening and pay attention to who is truly seeing and understanding who Jesus is so verse 46 <clears throat> then they came back to jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling to you. So as the others around Bartimaeus are trying to move Jesus on, Bartimaeus is calling out and declaring who he thinks Jesus is. Son of David, have mercy on me. This blind beggar identifies who Jesus is by recognizing that he is Jesus of Nazareth and calling him Son of David." and noting that he is a rabbi, a teacher. So though he could not physically see, it seems he is still able to see who Jesus truly is. As a beggar, he may have heard others talking and discussing about this Jesus, this man who heals, who teaches about the kingdom of God. So even in Barnabas's lowest moments, he's starting to see who Jesus truly is. So let's look at those different ways that Bartimaeus sees Jesus. Well, he calls him rabbi in verse 51. So he knows Jesus to be a religious teacher who has a following. I wonder which of the teachings of Jesus made their way to that poor blind beggar sitting on the road just outside the city of Jericho. I wondered wonder people share about Jesus' parables and not even notice that Bartimaeus was listening to. And when people mentioned about the healings, I wonder if he could even dare hope and believe that he too could be healed. This rabbi, this teacher, bringing life to his teaching and inspiring all who heard it to follow his way of life. And throughout that chapter 10, we see some other people also call Jesus a teacher. For example, the rich young ruler and the disciples. So from the least to the greatest, those who were closest followers of Jesus and those who had just heard of him, they were all recognizing that indeed he was a teacher to be listened to. That his teaching was life-changing and unlike the other rabbis or teachers around them. So, how could people not get excited to know that Jesus, the teacher, was in town? It's interesting to note that Barnabas first knew that Jesus was there because he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth wasn't a very exciting city that people love to say they were from, it was no Belfast. Um, but rather, it was a very small, humble place that many people would even joke about. In fact, one of the disciples, I think it was Nathaniel, joked, can anything good ever come out of Nazareth? So I'll I'll let you make your own sort of distinction and comparisons to maybe places here in Northern Ireland. But basically, it wasn't the sort of place that people would boast that they were from. And yet, this is how the blind beggar on the side of the road recognizes Jesus, that this man, this Jesus, comes from a humble place like Nazareth, where nothing exciting or cool would ever come out of that place. Makes us think about the humble servant that Jesus was. Just like Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples in that previous passage. In verse 45, he says, The Son of Man does not come to be served, but to serve. This is how we are to truly understand and see Jesus. He didn't come boasting of power or riches, but as someone who came from a humble, lowly place of Nazareth. And then the next title that Bartimaeus gives him, he calls it out twice, Son of David. This title indicating Jesus' royal lineage and linking back to the promises of the Messiah that was to come. See, from the very first pages in the Bible, God had promised that there would be one who would come, who would crush the serpent's head, but would also bite his heel. So one who would end the evil of the world, but would also be wounded in the process. This Messiah, the anointed one, was to come and rescue the world. And throughout the Old Testament, we see lots of different people like Abraham and Moses and David, And they were asking, could this be the one? Is this the one that we have been waiting on? And even though they might have seemed like heroes, they all failed. They were not the Messiah. So the people continued to wait and look out for the promise of who this Messiah might be. And so the people of God were given the promise that the Messiah would be someone who would come from the line of David. So many believed that he would be a king, ready to take them into battle against their enemies. But then God's people were defeated and taken away from their homes, and the kingly line was no more. So they continued to wait and watch out for who who this Messiah might be. And then Jesus comes along, and he is from the line of David. He talks about a kingdom that is not how they would ever have imagined it to be. He wants to bring peace and forgiveness all through being a humble servant to others and ultimately taking on that bite to the heel while he strikes the serpent's head. This is the true son of David they have all been waiting for. So with Bartimaeus using this term, he's putting his hope in Jesus that he will indeed save them. The son of David now come to rescue the world. So the names and images that come to mind when we think about who Jesus is can help us see and understand him more. The first one again, teacher. So we as the followers, as the students, can listen and learn from the one who can truly teach us how to live life and truly teach us how to love others. Jesus of Nazareth, the second term. Reminds us of the humble beginnings of a humble servant king. Jesus came here to serve, not to be served. This is the example we want to follow in how we live and serve other people. And then the third term, son of David, the promised awaited one, the one who has defeated evil and offered his life as a ransom for many for you and for me. So what sort of things can we do to open our eyes to who Jesus is? What can we do to help us refocus our vision to see clearly? Well, maybe this evening for you, it starts with prayer. Maybe it's prayer on your own. Maybe it's the prayer ministry team. Asking that you would see Jesus more clearly, that you would have a better sense of who he is. We don't wanna miss out on what God is doing around us because we aren't seeing him properly. Or maybe it's going back to the scriptures. Maybe this week, in your own personal devotional time, you could take a passage, read it, and ask yourself, where do you see God in that text? What characteristics do you see of God? Then as you go about your life this week, asking that same question, Where do you see God in that situation, in your workplace, in your home, on your holidays? Allow your vision to be improved and changed, to see God in places where you might not expect to see him. Seeing him as the teacher guiding you the best way to live, as a gentle, humble servant, and as the one who's defeated evil and laid down his life for you and for me. Then finally this evening, let's look at what happens when Jesus asks Bartimaeus this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Very simply, Bartimaeus replies, I want to see. Or some translations write, and which might be closer um, to the original meaning, I want to regain my sight he lost his sight before and now he wants it back again? Possibly. Either way, he's making it very clear. He wants to see. So that was his response to Jesus' question. And that's compared to what happened earlier in that text when Jesus was talking to James and John. Verse 35 to 37. James and John ask him, Or they said to him, sorry, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So the brothers want to be elevated, whereas Bartimaeus just wants his sight back, what he had been missing and longing for a very humbling request, and quite the opposite of what the brothers were asking for. So when faced with the question of what they wanted, James and John chose to ask for power and for status. But Barnabas humbles himself and asks for healing. He may have known what it was like to see before, and how he desperately misses it and longs for his sight to return. He knows regaining his sight is worth more than any amount of riches, of power, or status. So that question, I wonder what you would reply if Jesus asked you that. What do you want me to do for you? Would you answer like the brothers? Want to be given a platform and success? Or would you reflect back I want to regain back your spiritual sight. If you reflect back on your own faith journey, I'm sure there have been highs and lows. But where are you now? How are you seeing Jesus now? Were there times where you felt you could see Jesus more clearly? Do you feel like you're sitting in a state of spiritual blindness? and you desperately want to regain that spiritual side again simply tonight we can ask jesus to open our eyes because he wants nothing more than for us to see him more clearly and to know him more deeply as we wrap up this part of this evening i'm going to ask a few key questions I'm just gonna give you a moment to just think about them yourself in silence. I feel like I've talked a lot (laughs) and shown you a lot in that chapter 10, so I think it might be good for us just to be quiet for a while. So I'll slowly go down through these questions and just give you a moment to think for yourself. Maybe you wanna close your eyes, whatever it is that you want to do, but these are the questions. How is your spiritual sight? And how clearly do you see Jesus? Have you missed out on seeing Jesus at work in the lives of others? Because we thought a certain group of people just weren't important, weren't good enough. Do you know and do you see Jesus as the teacher guiding you the best way to live? Do you know and do you see Jesus as the humble servant, not boasting in wealth and power and status? Do you see and do you know Jesus as the one who has defeated evil and has laid down his life for you? And as you think about other times in your life and your faith journey, do you feel like there were other times when your spiritual sight was clearer? Do you want to say to God now, I want to see, I want to see again? I'm going to ask the band to, to come up now and I'll just pray for us. But tonight, don't don't leave here without talking to someone or going for prayer ministry if you feel that you need to regain that sight again. Let me pray for us. Pray for us now. But we want to see you. We want to see you clearly. Open our eyes to who you truly are. As we are leaving this evening, may we put on the correct lenses to see you. And if there's any vision that is blurry or unfocused and we can't quite see who you are. God, would you change that this evening? Let us see you truly. We pray this in your name. Amen.